from the committee to destroy all ESG scores because they murder puppies. It's the podcast that puts the W-O-K-E in cowpoke. I'll let you work that out slowly. It's Business Pants featuring me, your analyst, Hole Matt Muscardi. Damian Rollis is at the cleaners today. He's not going to be here. In today's S&P did not score this episode called August 9th, 2023, an alternative democracy roundup note, an anti-woke roundup, and a pastiche of business news stupidity. So basically a whole bunch of stuff you normally get on this show, just without Damian. And that's because Damian did most of the pre-prep. But it's just me today. You're going to have to suffer through me awkwardly pressing buttons and trying to figure stuff out. However... Our show today is being sponsored by S-Gage, your ESG data provider. Paul will actually be stopping by. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, audience, for S-Gage. That's right. Paul will be stopping by later to talk about something, some stuff. He's just He's got stuff to say. While we wait for Paul to get here, how about I say some stuff, which is what everybody here is waiting for. Let's get to it. Here is your alternative democracy roundup. In fake public company news, Dutch Brothers names Christine Barone CEO. We talk a lot about CEO changes, but what we like, what's fun, is that um, Barone is stepping down after just months after she was brought in to uh, lead the uh, drive-through beverage chain. Drive-through beverage chain, already a problem. But who cares? Because co-founder and executive chair Travis Borsma controls 67% of the influence, 76% of the voting power. In fact, there are four classes of voting stock at this company. The class A shares, one share, one vote. Oh, that's so democratic. Class B, 10 votes per one share. Travis owns all of those. Class C, three shares per vote. And class D, three shares per vote. In fact, there's only 5% of the vote that goes to the public. What is the point? This isn't a real company. It's a fake public company. The share price was $76 as of October 21, currently under $28. So uh, congratulations to Dutch Brothers for finally getting someone to you know um, lead this company. It's, fi- it's great. It's great they finally found, found somebody um, because... You know, having 10 votes per share wasn't enough. In the anti-ESG really love China news, S-Gage actually provided some data. This is a shout out to our sponsor, S-Gage. Provided some data to the conference board. Proxy proposal season is over. And here they put out a chart, uh, and I saw this in uh, Bloomberg, actually, where they uh, summarize the S&P 500 proposals that um, the anti-ESG crowd filed in 2023. Here it is by focus area. The number one focus area of the anti-ESG crowd was, wait for it, human rights. That's right. They went with human rights. Uh, In the top five other social issues, just broadly other stuff, racial equity and civil rights audits, number one on Vivek's list of pillars of uh, things to ask your financial advisor about. That's for real. And separation of CEO and chair positions was number four. And then corporate purpose, number five. 
I'd like to point out that separation of CEO chair isn't anti-ESG, is it? The filer might have been traditionally anti-ESG, but isn't that just a G question that everybody talks about for, has for 20 years, 30 years? But the human rights um, issue at number one was really just China. It was the use of forced labor in China for the most part, which means the anti-ESG crowd loves China now or loves human rights issues, as long as they're not American human rights issues. I don't totally understand it. Um, the conference board did note that using S-Gage data that the anti-ESG proposals are only getting around 2% of the vote compared to 20% for pro-ESG proposals. They did not include data that suggested both are losing. No one should care. No one cares. Everybody's losing. Anti-ESG loses. ESG loses. Uh, investors don't care either way. So I, I like that, you know, it looks like there's a huge imbalance. But guess what? Both are less than 50%. No one cares. Speaking of no one cares, here's your anti-woke roundup. In two years later news... Provider of anti-woke ETFs closes funds because of low inflows. That's right. One of my favorite fund companies, Second Vote Funds, actually closed its Second Vote Society Defended Fund, a $30 million AUM fund, and its Second Vote Life Neutral Plus Fund. I don't know what the plus is for. But it was a $19 million fund. They've closed, uh, they'll close, they closed to investors on August 3rd. Um, society defended, screened out companies that oppose Second Amendment rights and border security and civil society and support for law enforcement. There are a lot of companies that apparently do not like law enforcement or border security. I don't know what their methodology was. I do, in fact, know what it is, but we don't have time to talk about that today. Their Life Neutral Plus Fund excluded investments in companies that su support abortion. Here's what their, um, uh, their CEO and founder, David Black, had to say, quote, there is an overall failure in either our messaging or a commitment by conservatives and Christians to actually take meaningful steps to counter the successful radical ESG woke leftist agenda. Nowhere in that statement, I mean, they do say their messaging. Nowhere in that statement did they say that our entire methodology is flawed and pointless and stupid. That was not part of the quote. It would have been nice if David Black came out and said, um, given the fact that we made up our methodology, used basically ESG data to do it, um, uh, this whole thing is a, a sham to begin with. Didn't say that. Did say it was the ESG woke leftist agenda that took them down. But speaking of two years later, in other two years later news, and here's our big story this week, Ratings agency S&P Global stops grading borrowers ESG credit risk amid political backlash over woke capitalism. So that was the headline. Uh, S&P has ditched numerical rankings of corporate borrowers. And this is two years after they actually introduced them into the ratings. The team announced that customers didn't like it so much. They pushed back. So what they're going to do instead is they're going to do narratives. Uh, quote, after further review, we have determined that the dedicated analytical narrative paragraphs in our credit rating reports are most effective at providing detail and transparency on ESG credit factors material to our ratings analysis, the company said. Two years, that's all they got. And they realized their zero to five score that no one understood was not that useful. This is being headlined as 
they're doing this as a part of the anti-woke backlash. I would argue differently. I would argue they're doing this because their zero to five score was stupid. Right? The, the, <laughs> they didn't actually, so they have an ESG ratings product. This isn't that product. They have an ESG ratings product in a different part of their house. This was a separate product that was a credit ESG rating score that was a separate methodology that was even less transparent than their first product. So what they did was say, well, the product that was crappier actually was kind of crappier. Nobody actually liked it. So we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to write about ESG stuff. I don't know that this is like a woke capitalist backlash, is it? I mean, it happens to coincide with the fact that people are want, they're challenging ESG scores, particularly in credit ratings, but it has nothing really to do with, I mean, if you created a sucky score, should you keep it in there? Like for in perpetuity, simply because like there's legislation against it? Or does it actually make sense to just cut your losses now because it was a sucky score? It was sucky. I can't emphasize enough that it kind of sucked. I saw it. So that's the big news out of S&P. In other news, in if you can't beat them, make them do tons of paperwork news, Missouri's Secretary of State reigns in environmentally-minded investing. This Missouri, this is Jay Ashcroft, the Secretary of State of Missouri, after the General Assembly in Missouri failed to pass legislation on ESG investing stopping it, banning it, the what a lot of the southern states and conservative states in the U.S. are doing. He's introducing a rule to actually create different barriers. So after he failed, what he's doing is he's created new restrictions um, that says it's a, he said it's a first of a kind rule um, and it's, a, it's the quote cutting edge of how some states might think about regulating ESG. Um, the practice takes into account social concerns and personal beliefs the rule requires financial advisors and institutions to have clients sign disclosure forms when an investment may consider ESG scores or prioritize elements that may not yield maximum profit. There is no definition here of may not yield maximum profit because as if we knew what factors yielded maximum profit, wouldn't we be contrillionaires if like the you know, finance community knew everything that was high, one to one correlated with maximum profit. I don't even know what that means, but they are eliminating ESG scores, which includes G. So now they have to get their clients to sign something when they want to use anything related to governance, like that might be scored, but they're basically killing ESG with paperwork. He said, um, anyone who's, quote, going to make a discretionary trade recommendation and that recommendation is wholly or in part based on something other than getting the maximum financial return, they need to disclose that and get approval. He's built in an assumption that, like, that it's, it's a, like using an ESG score isn't about getting maximum financial return. And actually, I was just reading Texas, their ins new insurance law that says, which is, fabulous. It came out in June and it said, um, I have it up. It says insurers um, actually, and they exclude crop insurance, very smart, but an insurer uh, quote, uh, where is it? Here it is, uh, is pr 
except as provided by the next section, an insurer may not use an environmental, social, or governance model, score, factor, or standard, standard, to charge a rate different than the rate charged another business or risk in the same class for essentially the same hazard. Meaning, you can't charge a tech company more for like data security than you can charge, say, my mom, right? which is bananas. But then they go on to say, here's the exception. An insurer does not violate that if the insurer's actions are based on ordinary insurance business purpose, including the use of sound actuarial principles, financial solvency considerations, or reasonable related to loss experience for the different types of risks. Then they just carve out an exception that says the opposite of what they just said. They said you can't use ESG except if you're using ESG the way that you've been using ESG. I'm pretty sure all of these bans are fake bans. So any company that is worried that ESG is getting banned, you can't like you're not going to be able to use it. These are mostly turning out to be fake. You can still use all the same stuff. There are almost no places where you can't, including in Missouri. Um, in fact, this, uh, John Ashcroft, uh, he is arguing that his proposed restri restrictions, um, he's the same one who um, uh, was proposing restrictions on non-age appropriate materials in libraries um, and prurient sexual, uh, uh, any, any material that would, quote, appeal to the prurient sexual interests of any minor. Um, yeah. So that's what's happening in Missouri. They're, they are making ESG difficult with paperwork, and they are not allowing papers to be read by minors. So win-win. In gaping hole news, and no, that's not a segue from the sexual, prurient sexual interests of minors conversation. Here's the headline. American Airlines lambasts suit over ESG funds in a 401k plan. The background here. American Airlines has been sued for the use of ESG in its 401k, except the lead plaintiff in the proposed class action wasn't actually invested in any of the funds in question. So in the 401k, American Airlines offered options that were ESG options, and this the, the plaintiff actually didn't use those options, but sued American Airlines for even having the options at all. In fact, they're only available, the ESG options were only available through self-directed brokerage accounts, not American Airlines directed accounts. So that's like suing somebody like Ricky Gervais said it best. It's like you see a, like a sign outside or a, or a flyer that says guitar lessons and you sue them for offering you guitar lessons that you didn't want. That's basically what's happening. The plaintiff in this case is a pilot named Brian Spence. He, he said, quote, he seeks to insert himself, uh, seek to insert himself into the ongoing politicized debate over the wisdom of ESG themed investing. So he admits this has nothing to do with the actual investments that were offered to me or what I did, I just want to insert myself into this conversation and and debate whether or not this is wise. That's literally what he's saying in the lawsuit. But in more gaping holes, Brian Spence news, 
Brian Spence is the same Brian Spence, a pilot who sued the U.S. federal government over COVID vaccination requirements in 2022. In fact, that lawsuit was brought on religious grounds. He claimed, quote, plaintiff's religious beliefs generally fall into the following categories. One, opposition to abortion and the use of fetal cell lines in development of the vaccine, which I... I, is that proven that COVID vaccines were used fetal cells from aborted fetuses? Number two, belief that mRNA technology utilized in some COVID-19 vaccines usurps God's creation of the human genome. So mRNA in particular it usurps God. Number three, the body is a temple and taking the vaccine would defile that temple. Those are the arguments that Brian Spence made about having to get vaccinated. Meanwhile, he's an Air Force pilot who's teaching F-16 pilots just to be in the Air Force. The U.S. military mandates 17 different vaccines that must be taken. So he couldn't have even been there without taking 17 vaccines to get there. That's like hepatitis and everything else. So he's defiled his body temple. It was really just the COVID. It, tur- it looks like Brian Spence is suing for fun to make political points for what? Like to insert himself in a conversation. Speaking of a conversation that no one wants to have, in you call this hot news, Arizona Republicans don't want to hear about the deadly heat wave. Uh, There are some really great quotes out of the Arizona legislature uh, about the heat wave, including things like, um, if you don't like the heat, then you can get out of... Arizona, um, there was one that said their conservatives were suggesting that thermometers like vote counts are rigged because they're placed on sun scorched asphalt airports. So they, they actually think the heat was rigged. We rigged the heat. Uh, the failed uh, governor, uh, gubernatorial candidate, Carrie Lake, accused the governor, Katie Hobbs, of pushing mass hysteria in an effort to declare a climate emergency and then went on to blame heat-related deaths on the meth and their policies, Governor Hobbs's policies that allow meth to flow freely on their streets. Meth. So if you died from heat, you actually died from meth. Um, that's what's going on in Arizona. So despite the fact that there was the longest ever record of 110 plus degree days in Phoenix, in history, in recorded history, it's not that hot. Now, it was mostly because, you know, they're taking temperatures at airports. That's why. Let's get to business news comedy roundup. Actually, let's, let's play me into this. This is quick. In some duh news, WeWork warns it has substantial doubt about whether it can keep going as a business. Meanwhile, Adam Newman is worth $2.2 billion, according to Forbes, as of today. And also, duh news, top tech CEOs got more money right before layoffs, data shows. Apparently, um, a number of tech CEOs, right before they announced layoffs, were given massive pay packages. Um, uh, Sundar Pichai at Alphabet uh, had a th- over 3,000% increase um, in his pay package. Uh, but the CEOs at Meta, Microsoft, Uber, Salesforce are all among to make large personal gains um, with the short-term b- boost from the uh, the layoffs. This is data out of Equilar um, and analyzed by ABC News. Uh, duh. And 
The sandwiches aren't even that good news. Almost 10,000 people said they were willing to change their legal name to Subway for free sandwiches, the company said. They'll select one winner from 10,000 people who are willing to change their name to Subway. And in return, they would get $50,000 in gift cards as well as $750 to cover the legal fees associated with the name change. $50,000 of sandwiches. Is that even a lifetime of sandwiches? They capped it at 50000 What if you want more than that? And you changed your name to Subway. I don't know that that's good ROI for you. And maybe they don't have Zoom fatigue. They just are avoiding AI spying on them news. Zoom has Zoom fatigue, requires workers to return to the office. Zoom surprisingly decides its teams are more effective working in office. Here's a rhetorical question because now they're forcing everyone back into the office. They announced this the same week they quietly changed their terms of service to spy on all Zoom calls for the purpose of training AI. Does that feel coincidental? Yes? No? Yes? I think it's probably just pure coincidence. In first the gays, now the gambling, Disney does hate Jesus news. ESPN launches Sportsbook in partnership with Penn Entertainment. I love that the articles are claiming that ES, uh, ESPN is getting into sports betting is complicated by their the the parent friendly, um, uh, family friendly image that Disney's trying to preserve. Haven't we established that like half the country thinks Disney is woke and not parent friendly and inserting gays into everything in the first place? Which image is it that they're trying to preserve? I'm pretty sure they're going to piss off the same half if they offer gambling, right? Unless that half plays fantasy football, in which case no one no one cares. Then suddenly everything's fair game. That's all I've got. We've already got some data from S-Gage on the show. But let's bring in Paul, who's now waiting outside. Paul, you can come in. Paul is going to say some words about directors. Paul, come in. Hello. Paul Hodgson here with S-Gage Statistic of the Week. Now, the sound quality may not be absolutely fantastic today because I have the dog panting underneath my desk. I have the fan on because it's supposed to be summer and the wind is blowing a gale outside. And occasionally you'll hear my wife and a friend of hers praying the piano and the flute. All in all, a busy, noisy morning, but a blessedly short S-Gage statistic of the week. So we're looking today at director elections. Given the average support level for votes as a percentage of uh, votes cast for directors is 94.1% in the Russell 3000 and 95.6% in the S&P 500, it's not a really controversial issue. But of the 17,597 total number of directors uh, up for election in the Russell 3000, 393 received less than 70% of the shares voted. That's 2.2% of the total. And 69 directors received less than 50% of the shares voted, which is, I think, just under 0.4%. So pretty negligible numbers of directors not receiving the full support of shareholders. In the S&P 500 of the 4,606 total number of directors up for election, only 38 
received less than 70% of the shares voted. So it's less than 1%. And five received less than 50% of the shares voted, which is a, just a negligible amount uh, of directors. Now, when you get less than 50% of shares voted, it depends on your governance practices as to whether you are actually asked to leave the board or have to leave the board. Um, sometimes the rest of the board will ask the director to leave. Sometimes they'll ask them to stay on. It's not... Uh, a perfect democracy, let's put it like that. Uh, so next week, we're going to have a look at director election policies across the S&P 500 and the Russell 3000 to see how many of those directors actually left the board. So this is Paul Hodgson with S-Gage Statistic of the Week, signing off. That was Paul Hodgson, the great Paul Hodgson of S-Gage. Our sponsor, this today's show was sponsored by S-Gage, your ESG data provider, it's also sponsored by freefloatanalytics.com, which is where you can go and you can sign up for free and you can look at director data. It covers everything. It's got their actual performance, individual director performance. You want to know how like Gary on company, you know, on Rubber Chicken Co. performs. We can tell you how powerful Gary is, how he performs on everything from earnings to carbon. We got all the data on freeflowanalytics.com. I was your analyst soul, Matt Muscardi. Damien was not here, but screw him. Who cares? We'll be back on Friday. In fact, we might have a guest appearance from uh, my brother. Might be in town. He's, he's been does some producing, so he might step out of the booth and join us for the show and do Ari's bit of goodliest. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>